Hello, and welcome to Sutra Side Watch, episode 18. I'm your host, Cameron Shushtar, and with me hosting is... I'm Brandon from Apollo City Comics. And for the first time in, I want to say, like, two months, a little bit over two months, actually, mm-hmm. it's just you and me. Mm-hmm. That is right. You and I, us together for a musical extravaganza. I think the last, <laughs> it was really James, the last James Bond set was the last yeah yeah because if you guys haven't heard uh go back to july for some uh i was gonna say quarantino (laughs) i'm so tentin quarantino is like in my head uh no so quentin tarantino and uh robert rodriguez we did uh the grindhouse double feature of planet tear and death proof with our friend roman fruhan and then he remained with us for august where we went through James Cameron month with the Terminator and aliens. It was James Cameron month, actually. Oh, of course. So, of course. Thank you so much. (laughs) But do you want to tell him what this month is? I chose this month. (laughs) I'm so excited. He says with glee. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, dude. Yes, this is... Oh, man. This... I had not seen this film before. So... I had to choose one of my favorite people ever, Mel Brooks. This is the Mel Brooks month. Uh, and I just, it's so hard choosing which movies to, from his arsenal because there's amazing things. You know, Young Frankenstein, astonishing. Like, that was debatable on, on an October month. It took a lot of effort to not, like, slip in Young Frankenstein. But it's, like, a movie I watch every year. So we decided not to do that one. Um, he has, his arsenal of films is just just beautiful and i love it but it's also like kind of i i i've come to find out um even my girlfriend was saying she's like it's a kind of like acquired comedy because all of his stuff just goes like really overboard and really pushes the envelope you know to where it's it's very offensive but for some reason you don't find any of it offensive and i was like no i think it's hilarious um so this movie was his first film i had not seen it before uh and it is essentially a musical in the sense um, has uh, musical pieces in it, just like all his movies. Um, here and there. Here and there, yeah. But the producers, um, dude, this what makes this movie great, uh, and this is from 1967, so of course that would be my pick. Um, but it's also one of uh, Gene Wilder's like first films. It's like one of the first I noticed, yeah. Out. It's like kind of his break-in. Yeah, uh, and he, Mel had like chosen him to, it was actually his second film. He did Bonnie and Clyde. And then I guess this is his first like big role, but um, as like a a main character and whatnot. But uh, he Mel had asked him to do this movie, uh, early early on, and then so much time had passed, like four years or a couple years or something. And then he Mel reapproached him. You know, Gene had already been like, I thought you moved on, and it wasn't happening, and like all this stuff. Um, but Mel's like, No, you're still it. You're still the one I want. This is this is still perfect, and this is a. Uh, I guess this maybe could have been one of Gene's first major roles and whatnot. But this movie was Mel's first film because he was a playwriter. And uh, he actually wrote this as a play first. And he took it to whoever, you know, producer and whatnot. And they're just like, no, you know what? This reads like a film. This is, and it's 1967. So, of course, they want to break away and, you know, drift from the, you know, stage films and whatnot. They want to get people in the theater and everything. So, they were just like you know mel was like i've never written a movie like i don't know how to write a movie how 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 am i supposed to do this and they're just like just do it you can do it and this will be amazing um 
so he turned it into the film and it was a flop total flop uh the first premiere i'll give more details into like how it was made and all that but i just want to say like this movie did not do well in its first uh, screening i think it was screened in a theater that holds like three thousand people and there was like it should have been one for like a hundred people but there was like two people that showed up it was like the two executives in the back and then there was like a drunk person in the very front um who (laughs) um who like at the end of the movie apparently was just like that uh that tune brilliant stuff uh and (laughs) do the (laughs) uh and the film was originally called oh wait before i get into that part um so the film it flopped uh it just it didn't happen um it was kind of like it was just we tried guys you know like it just it didn't work out but gosh i I wish i could remember which actor it was because he was a famous actor but he would have like a movie party um and every week he started doing this thing where they'd have guests come in uh to his house and i am just totally blanking on who it is it'll it'll occur to me out of nowhere um but he had a movie he would have movie parties at his house where people would watch films and also eat food kind of related to the movie so something really fun like that sounds cool like having friends over and you make like a theme out of it and whatnot every week and you make certain dishes and the film they chosen uh i guess the wherever you got to rent movies or the films at that point uh that film just wasn't there it was this amazing artsy like italian film that was just you know, a film you know what i mean like the definition of la uh, film yes yeah like la know, cinema yeah <laughs> just something like that and um <laughs> they didn't have it so then their friend recommended like hey i've seen this movie it's great it's really good um and i think you'll enjoy it and it, they took out the producers and they showed it to this guy i'm gonna kill myself if i don't remember by the end of this episode who it was um and he watched it you heard it here first <laughs> yeah and he was like this is fucking brilliant like and all of a sudden it was showing like in every theater um in the like in new york and in you know all that stuff and it was showing like six nights a week sold out lines around the corner like once this word of this film came out it blew up like everyone realized how just fucking hilarious it is um Except for the Jewish community, they didn't like it at first, which is understandable. Nineteen sixty. I don't. I don't see why. Honestly, I, as someone of Jewish uh, who is Jewish, I thought it was pretty genius. <laughs> and you know, I I can understand why people were upset at first. This is sixty seven. This is what not even like thirty years. It's so tw- twenty two like, years. Twenty two years. years. So it's like oh everyone it's not even like oh you're all still alive it's like no no one's even they're just having people are still just having kids and stuff that were in the war like it's not even the next gen like these aren't grandparents yet that you'd say now or like at this point where you know majority are starting to exit this world and stuff but like um everyone's still vastly young and it's still on the top of their minds because i i think vietnam is just starting at this point mm-hmm. so you know there's the korean war but still world war ii is right there the holocaust was right there and everything else but you know mel brooks is the first person to defame hitler in such a way to make him a joke and that was his whole <laughs> first off the the movie was originally titled springtime for hitler um... i love it <laughs> How I'm sure they just had to change it to 
the no no studio wanted to pick it up either. They were like, you know, Hitler is a bit much. Can you make He's it a like bit Hitler? I don't springtime know about for Mussolini or something? And they're just like, no, it's it's springtime for Hitler. Um, what amazing musical number! It's springtime for Hitler, and it's just such a catchy tune. It was stuck in my. Head I like that they. It's something I've heard. So I've never seen this movie before. This is the first time viewing it as well. And I do know like throughout, not my entire life, but there's recollections where people would be talking and I just remember someone would, I guess, recall the film or something and they would just start singing it. And I'm like, I don't know what this, I don't know what movie this is from. Mm -hmm. I still don't know. I don't get it. And because I heard it so many times though, from just not even the actual song, just from people saying it uh when it the, the tune happens in the movie before the actual play itself when that song is actually sung and it's just a tune in the film that just kind of reoccurs throughout it before its actual you know debut i knew already what it was only because of word of mouth from other people without the actual like instruments mm-hmm. playing or anything it was cool. just known and i'm like oh it's that song oh i'm getting that in this movie okay and then, like, you hear, oh, this play's called Springtime for Hitler. And I'm like, it's definitely that film now. Okay. And um, it's it's funny how you, uh, like, were actually introduced to it. Because I, I, when I heard the song for the first time, I was shocked. <laughs> it was the first time of me hearing that, for sure. Uh, I, maybe if I heard a clip or something in the past, I don't think I've ever remembered I really know this film because I do recall the remake and the remake being a, a big deal that, you know, hit Broadway and they had a theatrical release and stuff like that with the dude from Godzilla and I forget who else. Um, but uh, I, I Curb Your Enthusiasm season four is all about uh, Larry being Gene Wilder's character uh, and the producers. And he goes on to Broadway and he <laughs> performs um, the play. And it's like a total, that's a total flap. It doesn't work out and he crashes. But that that was kind of my big exposure to the producers, um, just from vague memory and season four of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Check that out. And you mean uh, Matthew Broderick when you said Matthew, from Godzilla, yeah, right? Yeah, Matthew Broderick. In yeah, the remake? Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I just remember that guy from Godzilla. That's the When you said that, I'm like, you have to understand, just saying from Godzilla, I then have to my brain siphons through over 30 Godzilla films going, which one could he possibly mean? And I'm like thinking like, who is he talking about? You are a big Godzilla fan. And I just remember the one from that came out like in 2000 or something. Cause I, I had a cool soundtrack. I had like that green day song. Yeah. You were thinking of the 98 one. And then I was like, Oh, the 2000, was it 2000 and something? Uh, producers is like 2005 or something right i forget but it has matthew broderick and i think like will ferrell's the the nazi in that one mm-hmm. or at least that's what i was told i haven't watched I haven't it seen i've that heard one. i've heard it's also good because of uh i forget who writes it i think will ferrell actually writes it and then he's also the nazi or he's at least the author just being the author okay, he's yeah. like enough to just get you because will ferrell so far is just kind of He's Will Ferrell, like the man's undefeated when he just gets into comedy, practically, I, when he does a role. I'm very interested to see how he does it because, uh, gosh, who was it? Kenneth Mars, Franz Liebkind. Um Libkind or something like that, however you want to say it. I'm terrible German. Um, but he he was brilliant. I'm gonna, I was going to try to do a full on, I was going to go on like full angry German accent. 
to do it. Franz Liebkind. Like that. I guess that's how you would say it. Franz Liebkind. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, like that. Yeah. yeah. How, does, how does that sound? I scared myself a little bit there. Uh, yeah. But he was so good. I could totally see Will Ferrell taking on that role and just being ridiculous because it is a ridiculous character. And I feel I feel like he turned it up for 1967, but I feel like Will Ferrell would turn it up in the sense of it being modern. Um, but, dude, okay, so Franz, uh, his character, the writer of um, – so the whole point, of, you know, for those who haven't seen it, I'm assuming if you're listening <laughs> to this, you've seen the damn movie. Like, we, we jump right into it. I feel like it. we're probably more late than anyone else to the show. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm sure yeah. at this point, yeah. Um, it's just – it's legendary. This is one of those movies that this was, like, a staple, like, in comedy and this transformed stuff. And that's this shows the brilliance of Mel Brooks, like – Dude, he made Spaceballs. Like, how, what else did you say? That's, um, like, the most iconic one for me, easily. Uh, I oh, yeah. could actually play that entire film in my head. Like, I don't even need to watch it to know exactly. I could, I, it could, I could perform it in my head. Yes. Like, it's actually easily doable. The, they were, you know, Spaceballs, um, Young Frankenstein, and you know, just, you know, uh, letting everyone know, next episode we're doing History of the World Part 1. I grew up with those movies. Like those, I saw History of the World Part One like in elementary or middle school, and it just transformed my life. And I was always looking for Part Two, and there wasn't really internet then, so uh, Part Two wasn't, you know, wasn't there. Um, you were but, in a library looking up like, <laughs> where is Part Two? I don't know where it is. And then, yeah, Google History of the World Part Two. You'll get no Mel Brooks anything. Um, but his probably stuff, like a porno or something, if anything. I wasn't going in that direction, but yeah, yeah, I'm sure. You could, you know, it's one of those spinoffs. <laughs> but I don't know. This was, I forgot what I was even going with this part. I've strayed so much, but he's just like an iconic, he knows comedy. He just nails it. It's perfect. Like, I think it's what he does and his mindset, this being his first thing that he's really putting out there. Um, it just shows his brilliance and his brilliance just continues and continues to take off. And the guy is 98 now. He's going to die soon. Like, I've accepted this. I know it's going to happen. He's 98. I give it I give it to the end of the year, to be honest. We could do a Deadpool. Um, and I will be crushed and brokenhearted. But... I will take no part in this. <laughs> I will have zero part in this. But his movies are... And I hope he keeps going. <laughs> I get... I, maybe another year. We'll see. Well, he might hit 100. If he does something... If he does hit 100... Dude, my grandpa's 100. <laughs> Hey, he's Mel Brooks too, so we'll find out. But he's lived a lot a stressful life, you know. Like I can only imagine. It's not a lot, not a lot of fire. I feel like there. if you're already at a hundred, you're probably already had. Yeah, you've had a stressful life because you're a hundred. Yeah, I, I would assume. <laughs> um, I forgot where I was going with that because I strayed from Franz. Um, oh, we started talking. Sing something about him being a writer. Uh. Yeah, so he's and a, then he's you the went back. Dude. You've got. I think you've gone back like three times. You'd be like, well, actually, I wanted. to. <laughs> there's so much cool stuff about this movie you got I've, i haven't seen it with this much excitement since i want to say the bakshi month mm-hmm. uh in april uh because you're <laughs> i'm just like i'll just let him keep going it's i don't know where he's going with it but i'm sure it's going to something it's, and it's weird how like my taste has like the abstract it's not your typical and i'm just realizing this as we're naming it at the moment i'm just like oh i like the mel brooks uh, 60 movies and the bakshi bizarrity um but Franz, he was for his part as the writer. He would sleep in that uniform. He would wear it twenty four seven. Oh my god! 
and i just think that's horrifying that like elevate elevates his performance so much and it makes his character just wildly insane um uh gene wilder's character i he just nails it i think it's such a trip you could tell it's early writing too because i mean even the blanket thing doesn't it has some small callbacks to stuff like that but not like heavily implemented but um was Peanuts Gallery? I mean, was Peanuts already out? I want to time? say so, and that's the first thing I thought of was Linus. It was Linus, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's blue also. Yeah, exactly, and even has the like origin. Maybe he's like a grown-up Linus. I wouldn't even be surprised at that point. But I, Gene's character was, I think, brilliant because he doesn't have a lot of lines. He does a lot of acting with his facial expressions. He's he's responding as if like any audience member would have responded. You know, the way his face would just, if you really just like pay attention to it, it's just always his expression is just, you know, running his side of the uh, story. And he says very little, but whenever he does have a line, it's just over the top. Um, His anxiety attacks, all that stuff. I think it was crazy. They were, you know, tackling this type of stuff, you know, in the 60s. I don't know a lot of films that actually dove into anything or even made reference to those type of things uh, but he was very very clearly uh dude he might have been autistic like an autistic character like written in that movie the way he freaks out and has his episodes and stuff like that like he's on that borderline kind of thing where they just like really didn't define it back then um so i thought that was an interesting just approach to his character as a whole um, i thought character. with him like i'm so used to seeing him in mainly of course you know willy wonka as someone who's just in full control, like, 24-7. But also, uh, seeing him in Blazing Saddles. Oh, my God. Like, you know, he's also still in very much control there. And I I've, I've, I don't know what happened. I think I tried watching Young Frankenstein once on Netflix. And then something happened where I couldn't finish the movie. It's only, ha- it's only happened twice to me. And it was, like, that in Total Recall where I had to do something else and never finished. And I forgot to go back. Mm-hmm. And then it was gone. Yeah. And I was like, well... I yeah one day and I still haven't done it but like it's like those two roles are kind of what I've known him for for the most part so seeing him in this where you know he's younger here than he was in the other two I believe like he this is before both Mm -hmm. I mean easily before um young young Frankenstein Blazing Saddles but also uh uh what do you call it um Willy Wonka happens like in the middle of his like Mel Brooks work that he does yeah and yeah here he's just a nervous wreck he is all over the place he keeps overreacting to everything and freaking out and getting very high pitched and i'm just not used to it and i love it too because with his face it's so like still it seems like he's still in control so he doesn't have as much emotion on his face but he's still freaking out simultaneously and it's like it's oddly satisfying yes yes. and of course highly comedic yes dude it's uh it is brilliant and for an early role he just uh absolutely kills it um the whole premise of him just being an accountant and being like and that that's kind of where i get that autistic sense of it because he is brilliant and he's realizing things and saying things out loud that he doesn't realize he's thinking or saying out loud and whatnot and it's just this amazing plan of of a flop you know if it you know there's a flop you could actually make more money off of it than a successful uh, play and that's just what steers him clear and you know like once they say it and once the film they f- they find the script and they everything progresses you do know the outcome but even the ending is a total twist um 
and a total like what the fuck type of thing i never i didn't see that part coming for sure um but so the the producer zero the you know kind of the main character one of the main characters um he's based this whole movie is based off of kind of a true story uh mel brooks this producer he worked for he was this like 60 year old uh guy and whatnot and um to fund his plays he would uh his uh what do they call it people that you know fund the movies um his investors were all 80 year old women that would come into his office and he'd have sex with them and they'd write a cash to the play that he was making and it was always uh to cash <laughs> every single time and that's it's based on a real character and mel was with this guy for so long he's like i need to write a story about him uh this this is just too good this needs to become something um and he did and it was it was brilliant <laughs> just absolutely brilliant but you know i didn't know that backstory before when i first saw it so seeing that first scene is insane uh yeah is, <laughs> are you that whole beginning it is yeah it it's just too funny i can't even i can't even express how brilliant that is actually the first like you know kind of credit scene where it pauses and all that type of stuff oh i i took notes on that oh you did yeah yeah i just i kept talking because i wasn't sure i'm like oh i'm gonna take notes on this one and it's more so just hilarious shit where i put you know this is fucking funny and it's like that just like half of the notes is just so it's that worded into the description of what's practically happening or just like you know something like that but it was the the feeling of it where you know in the beginning it just shows that you hear it and then the lady leaves and then the next one pops in and you're like oh no like he's getting ready i think what was the um what was her name that he gave her he was like searching for a photo oh my gosh it was a hold me touch me um hold me that one yeah yeah and she comes in and she's like hold me touch me and it's just like oh no and then they want to she wants to she wants to play and then that's where the credit scene kicks off and i love that it's like something horrible potentially happening to him so it's just his face in pain and that's where they do the freeze for the credits and i that was that immediately already had me just dying i was like oh my and god he was I actually can't. in pain um before this film he had been in a car accident um and they would actually he was asking actually requesting tony film a little bit at a time because it, it hurts so much and at a certain point mel would just yell at him and just be like tough it out just get through it we gotta do it <laughs> Um, fine yes like and so i thought that was a total shock yeah hold me touch me hold me touch me estyle winwood dude when she got the part she said she was like um i don't know 60 something but she really was like in her 80s uh (laughs) such a creepy thing it's just one of those roles where it's just it's (laughs) meow I, he just the whole thing he's just like oh oh like the amount of i mean you gotta love a character like that the amount of work they put into like this guy that's like banging old woman left and right yes. and like going along with their plans the entire time like that's i can't i can't do that i can't imagine that 
and it just always results in the same where he's like oh checky you forgot checky and yes. i i gotta tell you i already hate the shit out of that word after this movie. i, know, me too. I yes. never want to hear it it felt so dirty it didn't feel right i'm like i don't want to hear if you're checky if you're ever again ever asked for oh did you bring the checky you're just gonna like vomit like on the spot oh i just yeah i live near the ocean which is perfect i can go drown myself immediately shouldn't take too long it's so funny how they just discussed that word for us i felt the same exact way i was like i can never hear that word without just uh shivering trembling at a yeah. certain point i want that word to end with a k if there's a y after it someone's gonna die <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh so okay so yeah it was based on a main story um trying to think of what else that was interesting but oh that first scene you know was in the credit part it was like 24 pages once they wrote it all out like it is a good chunk just the opening credits yeah yeah which is is it it's just like gets on couch meows meows (laughs) puts hand on face pain screams Mm -hmm. yeah and i figure it's very descriptive because it was written as a play originally so i think he just took that same thing and in a play i could see it being a giant huge script that's just all over the place with movements and direction and whatnot so they and then they could you know what's his face wasn't that accident i'm trying to think of what else i think that was all i had for the beginning of it um but you know once they realize they get money and they have that whole dancing scene in the fountains that was actually the last scene they shot really yeah last day of uh, last day on set um they just went out and they just got that footage and gene was saying like how just surreal everything was and how like just living in that moment like knowing the movie's done and he was so proud of it and then of course it, it didn't it flopped at you know at first but uh dude this film just took off i can't believe how i i wonder how sad the world would have been if it didn't you know come back if if that director didn't find it and you know show it to his friend and then it just come back full force you know that's we I don't know if we would have had Mel Brooks at that point, you know. Yeah, especially just imagine a world without all. Like when you look back at his movies, you don't really. It's true you don't really talk about the producer that much. Like anyone that goes, "Oh my God, you haven't seen any Mel Brooks movies?" Like the they're gonna either say Blazing Saddles, Spaceballs, or Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Like those are the three that people normally not even like robin hood men in tights even though that one's amazing oh, as yeah. well I but like about that one too i i remember i got so much even though i had seen like some of them like a long time ago or like throughout my life i got so much shit for not seeing blazing saddles specifically oh, they were just I, like I dude you, you haven't seen that and i'm like i just i'm sorry i don't <laughs> I think just seen that a few it. years ago um yeah yeah and, and it's um, I mean, it's fucking amazing. That, that that movie was yeah, that's one of his best ones easily. I, I'm not even I have to watch all of them and just figure out how I'd rank them. And of course, the one I just don't think is defeatable is probably Spaceballs, but you know, oh, that's yeah. just me. No, yeah, that's Spaceballs, I don't know. I'm I could see that. No, yeah, Spaceballs is the best. I think Spaceballs is my favorite in a nostalgic sense. Um, but history of the world part one, I just, I just adore. I mean, it's good to be the king, bro. (laughs) It does honestly, but history of the world part one, it does feel like it goes on a little too long at a certain point, but, uh, I don't know. 
that one's i think that's my mel brooks film that's like the one i just if you want to watch it i feel like that encapsulates everything mel brooks like from the musical numbers to to the t oh musical numbers um the composer <laughs> that uh worked with mel to you know he knew he could just go batshit crazy um and just be like all right well i'm kind of get to just invent something at this point mel had written the song of course um he even wrote the song at the very end when they're in prison and everything. Um, oh, perfect. And uh, that composer is actually the one that's worked with Mel for every film after that. Uh, they they just, it was one of those things, they worked really well together. And since then, he's been Mel's composer and done all of, you know, everything you see in History of the World. It's all the same guy. And I, I, I love that because it's so consistent in his other films that you're just like, oh, that's this totally makes sense. Um, and apparently the song in the very end, it's like super technical. Like there's like so many harmonies going on and I only listened to it once. So I couldn't really like analyze it too much, but, uh, the composer was saying, he's like, it is one of the like hardest pieces I've ever had to work on, but Mel, Mel wrote it and it's brilliant. Like, and it's crazy how well versed Mel is with not only like writing comedy, but musical numbers, like knowing it's a play, like just this, the essence of being a performer and a, you know, a showman and whatnot. Uh, he's just uh, we don't have someone like that today I don't feel well I don't know maybe like to an extent uh, Donald Glover or Taco Watiti or something like that yeah I'd say so otherwise like you just get into the vulgar insane comedy with like Seth Rogen and like all those movies and whatnot yeah but that's like a completely different beast but like we haven't had another springtime in Hitler (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, aside from maybe Weird Al to a certain extent. Yeah, that's who you know another another fabled Jewish man there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> easily. But um, and what was cool about this movie is that they made they had to make a lot of their sets. Uh, the elevator. They could have made that like typically if you're gonna shoot a shot like that, it's still gonna be a large elevator. And you're going to shoot down and you're just going to kind of cram them and give them that visual illusion so that the actors are comfortable. Um, But that was a tiny fucking elevator. That was legit. That looked (laughs) so small. I was like, how are you going to get the camera in there? How is this going to work? They had to like position their hands all weird. And they were saying like how awkward it was to a certain point and whatnot. Like just having to shoot that. Um, And uh, the stage where they premiered uh, um, uh, Springtime for Hitler it was they didn't have like the the box where the orchestra goes into i forget what it's called um but that where it's kind of carved out and whatnot they had to remove seats from the first three rows and then give the conductor like he had to like go on his knees and then pretend he was conducting an orchestra because you don't really see that much of anything at that point um and that that was all done in a morning and then they shot that entire musical that day and nailed it like they just that was all one day oh, wow. of work yeah pretty crazy damn i gotta say with those two the their relationship between uh max and um crap, what, what was gene walter's character's name again it was uh leo leo yeah, yeah max yeah. and leo it it felt like um almost like a what is it laurel and hardy i, uh, oh, laurel I, and hardy, I think a little bit yeah because they it felt like um a combo of that or three stooges where they're just kind of messing around the whole time. Mm-hmm. And Max is just always given that face where something happens. He looks and he's like, oh, really? Or something like that. Like, it's just such a funny dynamic 
where it's the hefty kind of like not mean but more like uh in control guy and then the skinny just like nervous guy all the time uh, they, they do hit those traits a lot to the point where almost it feels like because it's so far back from that time it's like oh these are probably one of the earliest iterations of that kind of thing yeah it's the kind of a Abbott and Costello type of thing that's the yeah. one I was thinking of yeah. not Laurel and Hardy Evan and Costello I always mix up the there's what you know there's two guys yeah, that are doing something and they're like two guy. white dudes yeah. I don't know man <laughs> yeah there's, there's a lot of those but just his personality for Max alone, uh, j- just like, oh, really? Every single time and looking over and trying to basically shake something out of Leo practically. Highly, highly satisfying. But, uh, you know, you have your producers, you got your writer, you got your director, which director in this movie uh not mel brooks himself but uh what was his name uh i gotta i gotta find it i think it was uh, christopher hewitt he uh, yeah. played roger debris yeah, yeah and oh my god and his freaking what was his name angelus Vut- who played carmen <laughs> yes his assistant i couldn't is that facial hair i couldn't deal with it it was such a acquired it was taste of a character perfect i loved his character and again you're mess. You're. This is 1967, and they're on film showing like transgender characters. You 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 don't get that. Like it was not something that was like looked looked up upon. You know that was you're messing in dangerous territory. And again, Mel Brooks, Mel Brooks pushes the envelope um, even Each more. Time. So yes, like so much to the point that the reaction you see in the audience that's watching Springtime for Hitler is like probably the audience's first reaction when they saw the producers. I wouldn't be surprised if it was any different. That's highly believable, yeah. And it's crazy too, like, because I always feel like comedy. If if it's something offensive, if, as long as it's for the sake of comedy, I always think it's okay, no matter what. Mm-hmm. And this is definitely easily one of those things. And you know, who knows? Maybe a lot of people now might you know have more of a brittle spirit, so they might not take it I, as. I, don't think so. I think that's why you know. Even my girlfriend was saying she's like. Yeah, it's funny, but it's really like offensive and whatnot. And then I was just like, "That's why it's so great." <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things. Like, um, I don't know if you've seen like that Dave Chappelle stand up on Netflix, oh, yeah. where he's like, "Yeah, people don't know what comedy really is anymore at this point. They're so busy trying to be angry instead that they forgot the point of it." Yeah, and this definitely keeps it alive easily. Well, easily, Mel like approaching Hitler. He just wanted to he wanted us to laugh all that pain and fear away. We want, he wanted to diminish him. He wanted us to laugh at him so much that just diminishes his power and everything that he stood for and everything, you know, that he represented. He just wanted to make that look just ridiculous. And he fucking did do the actor that played him. Come on, man. Like what, what's your name? I, Oh man. I just don't know. (laughs) LSD. (laughs) They were, what what better way to derail Adolf Hitler, who is pretty much emperor of Nazi Germany, than have a character called LSD, who's practically a hippie, play him and just be like, come on, man, where's my Goebbels, man? <laughs> I mean, they did what, man? Oh, man, I just gotta... Dude, it was great. 
the song that he sang, that trippy psychedelic hippie song. Psych- yeah, psychedelic Hitler is a fantastic time. Uh, easily, yes. easily. Oh my god, that it's brilliant. It is just—it's so much, and it's so much to handle. And it's like—I don't know—I—I I, you just don't get that a lot nowadays, you know. And and I just miss it. Like I just think it's the best way to do things. Like that's—I mean, that's why stuff like Borat's like you know pretty funny. I don't really care for Borat myself. Um, but the aspect of what his character is doing and the purpose and like stuff like that, like it's hilarious. And you know, his other oh, yeah. movies he's done. I, I, I get the reason behind the comedy of it. Um, I really don't you know care for it too much, but maybe I should go back and like check it out. One, one big difference in comedy between them is Mel Brooks is you don't really, you're just enjoying it as it goes. Whereas Borat has a cringe humor with it. There so when go. certain things are happening, you feel that embarrassment, mm-hmm. that cringe as you're watching it going, Oh no, Oh no, it's go. happening. Like that, that's a, the primary difference there. And normally it's, it's actually, that's actually a trait. I didn't understand. It's, it was one of those things where you're watching something in a movie and a big character, like the main character gets embarrassed or it's like an embarrassing scene and you feel embarrassing, you feel embarrassed watching it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't understand that that was basically cringe at that time. I was like, oh, so that's what that means this, this whole time. There was a word for it. I just didn't know what it was until like way, way later. Yeah, that's uh, again, you know, different shades of comedy. It's crazy. Like how, you know, I, I guess every genre has this to a certain extent, but like comedy really does have a crazier spectrum of understanding and taste and i feel like anything i feel like if you like a horror movie like you will pretty much like horror movies you know there's there's some taste in like slasher and you know stuff like that and but like if you enjoy one you could stand another enough to watch it pretty much i don't um, want to watch the one where the phone kills people that sounds stupid there's one that but i like the other ones i like the thing but i i don't want to watch the facebook one oh it's that's like, right yeah but i mean i, I have preference there it's like yeah it's true that's true but you know what i'm saying you know what i mean like the, yeah, that yeah, spectrum's yeah. a lot smaller you can divide that up into like five or six pieces but comedy i feel like it's just like a, a wheel that like blends into one another instead of just like another slot of the genre that makes sense do you want homely funny do you want cringe do you want um grotesque funny do you want like just like mean funny there's so many different forms mm-hmm. of and in a sense sure. like without one you kind of have to like have another like it's kind of a yeah it's crazy it's comedy is a really insane thing to master and get down and good comedy timeless comedy dude that's that's brilliant for the producers to still be relevant and hilarious and understandable today um that's hard you know the only you know there's a movie like the odd couple that's from that time and i still i think it's hilarious i think it's great um but not everyone's going to get some of the jokes and aspects of it and you know, it's it's timeless, in a sense. We're not. It's, it's not timeless. I'm just gonna say it's not timeless. Like you really have to know that era. But this one just flows. You could watch this one whenever, and you're just it's hilarious. But movies don't always do that. Comedy movies don't always do that. They feel dated. They feel like you don't know that time enough to really understand some of the jokes. And this one totally just yeah. You can still you can still vibe with it no matter what. Yeah, they talk about uh, landlords in the beginning. Like the first check he gets, the landlord. He's like, "Why? Why are you doing this?" And he's like, "I'm the landlord. It's what I do, or <laughs> yeah, something." Yeah. And it, it was just like, "Oh, what a like the most 
Co- probably coincidental time to do that right now mm-hmm. or just to watch it. It's like, oh, yeah. Everyone has that feeling at the moment, I would say. Yeah, no, most definitely. It's, uh, he's brilliant and fucking brilliant. Um, yeah. Landlords were always bad. <laughs> I can't think what else, like, random crazy facts I had about the film. Uh, Mel did pin, um, the remake in 2005 or whatever. Uh, he did kind of change up some stuff. Um, he actually, um, during the springtime for Hitler play when Mel Brooks comes out and he's like, uh, uh, don't uh, something, don't be naughty, be a smarty, come and join the Nazi party. Uh, that part, they still use his voice on the live performances. They just play his voice and an actor walks up. It's not Mel Brooks, but an actor like acts as Mel Brooks, but doesn't say the line. They have a video call over it beautiful yeah absolutely beautiful yeah and he's like i just That's... said it so well like i just said it the best out of anyone that could say that line so why even mel have brooks it? <laughs> come join the nazi party who says it better than mel brooks like come on man and i think he gets like a good kick out of it you know and um oh you I mean, you know he does yeah, he, he definitely does he, i think he just feels great being able just to he's somebody that really just got to like shove it to hitler you know what i mean like yeah dude and uh you know him being jewish and his history and his family and all that type of stuff i think that's like a monumental thing and a you know very courageous thing to face something like that for for him to like even go in those places like in your head and come try to warp it and make it funny make it hilarious and see how others can see that point of view too um to help change and to help other people feel better um, towards this person and just finally like be able to laugh at it instead of it just hurting them that's it's beautiful that's like a, the most that's the greatest thing you could do with the film you know definitely definitely for sure and you know if if people um i think it'd be hilarious if someone's like you know i feel offended by this movie or something and someone would be like, well, why are they offended? Just say, oh, they're a Nazi sympathizer. They, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't enjoy it because they thought the Nazis were made fun of too much, like the writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that could always be something you could say to someone just to piss them off or just confuse them because it'd be like, I'm offended by this film. He's a Nazi. That's why he's offended. Yeah. Just freak him out. And they'd be like, no, that's not what I meant. And then, boom, you just reversed it. It's like the reverse Uno card mm-hmm. in real life. It's perfect. But the actual like play itself when it's going through they do such a good job like i don't think i've ever seen such a good audience reaction of just sheer like they got almost every single person's just horrified like they're mortified watching this there's like i think one lady that looks like she's half smiling you can't really tell Mm -hmm. like as you're like inching through the crowd as it goes and just doing it is so fantastic and then having the bigger payoff of when it finishes that first act that one guy that one single dude just goes and starts clapping immediately gets attacked by everyone else he's like what 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 i do <laughs> yes <laughs> so good oh my god and you know but, in a sense i kind of like and you know listening to writers and you know creators and whatnot talk about their work and you know you know look at what's happened to like a lot of films suicide squad dune stuff like that but for the writer to watch the film and to be like that's not what i wrote 
those aren't my words. Like, that's not my movie. Like, you guys destroyed my what I created. You guys, you know, just vandalized and, you know, everything I poured into that movie. Um, you guys just fucked up. And it's like, okay, I mean, that's that hits home. You know what I mean? That's something that still goes on. Like, yeah, of course, it's like he was making Hitler look amazing and great. And why, why circumstances are you, why are you aside, trying to be so mean to yeah, he's like, but that's not how Hitler was at all. He was a great he was man. Beautiful. I, was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I want to show the true side of Hitler for what he really oh was. Uh, it's just yeah, that concept in itself is just hilarious. You can't. I don't know. You can't even make another movie like that because you just know it's ripping off the producers. You know, like it, it's it's too brilliant. It's, it's like making cool. another movie called The Producers years later. Yeah, like. <laughs> and instead, you put Matthew Broderick in it. I mean, a remake. I mean, Mel worked on it. I know. Yeah. That's I know. That's a, uh, yeah. But that's just, yeah. if we saw like a modern uh, iteration of like. I don't know, someone making a film. I don't know, whatever. Just anything that relates to... What if someone remade Citizen Kane? And made it about Hitler? Yeah. Replace Citizen Kane with Hitler? I feel like you could 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 probably probably do that, actually. That's actually not that hard. I think that that would actually work really well. You could totally pull that off. Except then you question why someone would actually do this. Like, what was the point Mm -hmm. of making a Citizen Kane movie about Hitler? I'm going to write it down anyway, though, for later. But I probably won't use it. But I'll just write it down for safety. Think about it. Um, <laughs> oh well, Uma Thurman was in the remake too, huh? You know, okay, for okay, okay, for a split second there, when you said Uma Thurman, I'm like, actually, her name is Ula. Oh, yeah. I got really confused. I was like, Ula, go to work. Oh my gosh, talk about like, okay, yeah, and I could see how this certain aspects can be very upsetting, you know. But it is very sexist in the sense of Ula, go to work. (laughs) (laughs) No bra, like just dancing, doesn't really know English or whatever. Like, oh my God. I love how Leo's like half interested, but he's still like, guys, the numbers, the the mission, the goal. And just Max is like, yeah, the whole fucking time. But that, that climactic point where the writer is so angry he comes in with a fucking luger like the classic nazi officer pistol yes. comes in starts shooting up the office and ula is like oh <laughs> she she expects some home and it's like oh ula do sexy time and it's like no sexy time go to work oh go, go to work, work. <laughs> turns the music back on takes off her clothes and starts dancing in like a in like a bikini or something and they just close the door in depression <laughs> like that that type of com like that is so high tier like high quality where it's something that just it's something that was already hilarious the first time they do it mm-hmm. but then they stack on a combination of depression with the same type of thing again making it even funnier than the first time like it's so i think it's really an accomplishment if you can do a joke and then do the joke a second time and somehow it's even more hilarious the second time absolutely especially when there's a nazi shooting at you with a luger (laughs) every scene he was in even like when he takes them into their apartment and he's just like just singing and like they don't know the words and they're just making noises and just like Uh... (laughs) 
Uh, don't question me. I love my country. Uh, I pledge allegiance. God bless USA. <laughs> it talks to the fucking birds. Yes. And th- again, you know, throughout this entire movie, I just felt it was shocking. Uh, everything you think that would probably happen, it's just like, oh, wait, this guy is like a hidden Nazi that's like come to America that's written this play. And it's the one play they chose. It's a flop. Like you you don't see like his you don't see that coming. You don't see like his performance walking up to you. They keep the play a secret. There's nothing like implied about Hitler or something being that like insane. And it just of course it's like, of course, yeah. <laughs> you know, what kills it is the fact that he wears a Nazi helmet the whole time, but that's that's not something an officer would wear. So the whole time you're just like, dude, is this some dude that was just like a grunt in the Nazi military? He wasn't even like an officer. He was just some random guy that was probably guarding the door for Hitler. That's what I always that thought. That was it. Yeah, that's seriously. <laughs> and he was like... just watching him the whole time. That's why he loved them. He wasn't like a good friend or anything. He just worked there. <laughs> You know, if I mean, if you're ever gonna like expand that universe, I guess like the, like the prequel would be about him, like and his times with Hitler, like really shows. Pre- oh my God! Just do that would be if you're gonna make a prequel, it would be called Springtime for Hitler, and it would be Springtime <laughs> for Hitler, and just based around his experiences. At this point, if it's modern day, I mean, they already they half did it already. Yeah, and that movie is called Jojo Rabbit. Oh, there you go. So. I you wonder could just if have was... Taika Waititi do it again. <laughs> I just haven't played in that one and be like, oh, hey, guys, that's me, Hitler. <laughs> it's I, like, oh, no. I didn't realize that that has to be like, probably like, a, that had to have been inspired by the producers. 100%. He, he, oh, he, I feel like Taika Waititi probably is a That would be a question I'd ask him. It'd be like, do you get a lot of influence from Mel Brooks? Yeah. But I, you have to assume, just looking at his filmography, the way he does stuff, Mm-hmm. Even looking at like what we do in the shadows, like you got to be like this dude, definitely, like what we do in the shadows. Vampires, Dracula, is... dead and loving it. Yeah, like you, he has God, to. Dead and he loving has it. To. I forgot he did that too. With uh, I saw that on his filmography, and I was like, that was him. I had Me no too. idea. I just, I love that movie though. Was, it is great. Like a, it has what's what's his my name? sister and I always do the bug sticking out of the mouth. <laughs> it's like an inside joke with us. Uh. What's his favorite? From Airplane and Naked Gun. Don't, oh, don't call me I, Shirley. I know. Uh, um, I have to. I'd have to. I have to look that up. When, I have to look at his name up. He recently passed away, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he did, and that was that was yeah. Crazy. Um, oh my gosh, I am. Oh, I'll have it in oh, a second. Oh, and I, I, gosh, what's his name? The Pink Panther guy. Uh, look, that that's who it was. That's the director. That's the Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen. There you go. That's that's home size. Um, David, I think that's him. David Naveen, Sir Charles Lydon. I think that was the guy that the director I've been talking about that made the producers like huge. Okay. Which Peter Sellers? Peter Sellers. It was Peter Sellers. It was Peter Sellers. Oh, the mustache. Okay. I had to find the picture okay. of the mustache. Uh, Peter Sellers <laughs> is the. <laughs> Is the was the mustache like was it on him or was it detached? I need to know specifics here. I feel like it would have been on him at that. Was point. it a standalone mustache? It was just like under a glass case, and you're like, I know that mustache, and it got you the name. I literally googled like classic actor with a mustache, and I was just 
Are, oh. It wasn't fucking. Are you sure the first thing that didn't come up was like Charlie Chaplin yeah, I went, and Groucho Marx? I was Marx. scrolling a lot while we were talking right now. Uh, <laughs> I had to figure it out. Peter Sellers. It was Peter Sellers was having those movie nights that invited another friend over, and they didn't have the film, and th- that friend brought the producers, um, and then it was the biggest thing ever. Which is crazy because the just the concept that the movie is about a film that becomes a success and all this, and then the producers flops at first, but then becomes a success. Like it, it's it, he he told his own he told his own future in that movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Especially the fucking the old ladies part. I'm just kidding. That was his past. That was his. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was past. I mean, we put that behind us. Just the fact that that was based off of a true story. Write what you know. You know, that's just what it says. Write what you know. Uh, that's where you go. <laughs> the wackiest characters are all around us. And it's another case of looking at an early film where I, I think I talked about this in one of our recent episodes of Side Talk. I talked about like Justin Lin's first film, Better Luck Tomorrow, and how it feels so much more um like there's like 20 times more heart put into it than you'd see in like the Fast and Furious movies because it's his first film. It's the lowest budget he's probably going to ever have and he has to do the most with the little he has so you're going to feel a lot of heart there. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty much the same thing here where, you know, you look at Spaceballs and it's a lot of practical effects and everything but it's a massive crazy sci-fi set and they even go to a desert at one point to come to desert, you know, very important. And, like, the other places are located in forests and, like, movie sets for, like, Blazing Saddles and, like, all this various other stuff. Whereas producers is specifically just most of it, the vast majority of the movies set just in that office. And then, like, eventually they get to utilize the theater, that apartment building, and they go around what looks pretty much just like Central Park for a bit. And other than that, like, it's just not much else is spent because, you know... It's very easy things to do in a the- theatrical area. Like, there's, they don't have to make new chairs. They don't have to do all this stuff. It's just something that's already probably there. Mm-hmm. So it's really awesome to see just how much personality puts into something that early on. And what I really like, too, about it is that, or at least, I guess, more so Mel Brooks specifically, where, you know, you see other... Uh, directors do crazier things each time and maybe they're not as much as what follows like what they originally did like let's say like example Christopher Nolan uh, 20 times over Ridley Scott once again a reptilian he's not real anymore Um, (laughs) but Mel Brooks somehow maintained all of his love throughout his movies and just kept it consistent like it just you feel like it's something where I'd never ask if he was not in control during all of his films because it just feels like he does all of it himself so there's no like well that... like exactly like big company hands getting in there during the filming i could be wrong but it's just they're so good that i never think about it. it's not a question i'd probably ask honestly well with the producers the cool thing about it was that uh you know it being a 30 page play that they talked him into making a film and then they're just like they once they finally got studio to be like um, fine, we'll do this. You know, after being denied by everyone, Universal and everyone, um, they were just like, "Well, we just need to find a director to do this." And he's like, uh, "Don't, don't do it. Just don't worry about it. Like, I'll, I'll direct it. I was, I'm the writer. Um, all the scenes are in my head. You could save thousands and thousands of dollars." And this, that, that was more incentive for them to help make the film because they didn't have to find a director. And Mel 
he never shot a film before, but he was like, well, I, I got to do it now. Um, and that's the cool part. Should he, be fine. he did have like somewhat that control and whatnot. So I think that having that being the first thing, um, really what helped him skyrocket into further control on his other films, knowing how to make it, knowing how to do it all. Um, which is admirable for sure, you know, and it's a great way to, to go that route. Um, speaking of like first films and everything too, uh, Gene Wilder's character was originally casted um, with Dustin Hoffman, but the timeline didn't work out, and Dustin Hoffman uh, had another offer for a film, and he went with that other film, and that was The Graduate. Huh? Have you ever seen The Graduate? Nope. Um, I have not. Um, I've seen Super Mario Brothers. Uh, if that helps. <laughs> the and Roger Rabbit. The Graduate is an amazing movie, dude. It is, and it's Dustin Hoffman's first movie too. Uh, it's. Oh, I saw Hook also. That helps. You know, yeah, we're gonna put we're gonna put it on the list for sure. Um, uh, yeah, the never ending. Here, <laughs> put it on the never ending list of films we have to cover. <laughs> but it was, man, it's nineteen. What a good year, you know what I mean? Like, what a good epic. That was the beginning of Gene and Mel Brooks, and that was that whole start that whole chemistry and that's how everything else spun out and you know they they became a legendary um duo and you know we lost uh gene due to like some complications with alzheimer's and so it's like super tragic but oh man it's just those guys have monumental stands in film and comedy like you're they're always going to be remembered always going to be referenced back to and no one's ever gonna top what they did definitely not and those movies are something that are so and even if there is stuff that just isn't appropriate i feel like all of them you could still show a kid even space balls you know why they said fuck even in space or what was it fuck even in the future nothing works i watched that as a little kid because my parents didn't really they just saw the pg yeah and didn't realize that's in there and then you know you have what's his face being like yo what'd you find it's like we ain't found shit and it's just like <laughs> you're a little child and you're like huh all right it's yeah right yeah. The whole time. <laughs> it just works and just goes right over your head and i'm i'll be honest i'm probably gonna show my kid oh, yeah. fuck. it'll no. be fine they won't notice yeah they won't notice it i yeah. i saw i mean I grew up on Kiss like documentaries, so I don't. I can't really say I had the proper <laughs> guidance on what to watch. Oh my god! But uh, Mobrick's films were like a the, lot of tongues there. <laughs> they were the pinnacle of my childhood, and it's just it's great. It's like Monty Python, you know. It's like the American Monty Python. That's what Mel Brooks like gave us basically. Another timeless thing, and they, you know, because it's not American, it's like European. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of nudity there, especially mm-hmm. if you watch Life of Brian, and you're like, oh, oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah and you still i that i would probably forget that scene and i'd still show my kid and they'd be like whoa yeah. like yeah and the movie i saw as a kid you know what i mean well <laughs> health ed came early son um, it's okay so and you know not a lot of mel brooks films have ever been remade except for the producers this is the first one and there is another and that is coming out in i think a year um, but Blazing Samurai, which is a uh, kind of a remake of Blazing Saddles. I don't know how Mel Brooks is involved with it. I don't know anything about this movie. I don't know anything about this. You've uh, just it created a lot. Of, I mean, I was really 
not even a remake, but I'm you know I'm still waiting for besides History of the World Part Two, but Spaceballs Two: The Quest for More Money is an, another important thing. Did you know there need. was a Spaceballs animated series? I feel like I heard something about it and I never watched it. It's like the thing where most people don't know there's a Clerks animated series. There you go. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it reminded me of. Actually, I have the Clerks animated series on DVD. I have that shit on DVD. It's fantastic. <laughs> fucking masturbating monkeys and other weird shit it's great um let me make sure this is the title of it i just know it's something samurai yeah it is blazing samurai uh yeah mel brooks has done so much and but he stopped really like writing movies um even more so directing i think dracula done loving it was the last film he directed yeah i think so yeah that was it that was it 1995 damn but look yeah only four years into existence he already stopped yeah um dude that's insane like for him for him to still be like a staple point and like pretty relevant i feel like if you talk about mel brooks to almost anyone they'll know a mel brooks film you know um, yeah and at least you know frankenstein and Spaceballs, like those are just pinnacle comedic movies that i feel like the majority of audience have seen um but yeah i don't know it's fucking great it's fucking just amazing it's offensive it's somewhat sexist it's just the raunchiest best comedy everything we need today in life yeah (laughs) honestly like especially hitler it's it it makes you realize just to loosen up you know movies like this just tell you just to be like this is gonna maybe that's why i like robot chicken so much right now because everyone's so offended by everything and they just offend every single it's fantastic yeah it's yeah i think um I just respond if someone was like, I don't like this. I just start talking like LSD Hitler and be like, man, hey, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, I ended up buying the movie. It was like three bucks to rent or 10 bucks to buy. And I was like, well, I'll pay seven more bucks because I will probably watch this again and definitely will. I would rewatch it again right now. It's, it is definitely one of those movies that's just, it's going to be in your collection and it deserves a spot in your collection. I feel like I'll eventually want to do like, um, I don't know if they've already done it. They have just a giant Mel Brooks filmography collection. They haven't. I was looking for it when, when I when I was oh, like, "Oh, you were? Yeah. Oh, okay, that's something I would do. That's like once I realized I was like, oh, if I have to buy it, and I was like, you know what? I you know I don't own a lot of movies physically. I don't. I own maybe 10, 20 movies, but I do own two Mel Brooks films on DVD. It's young. It's gonna suck for you when that AMP goes yeah, off, man. <laughs> Freaking <laughs> uh... Oh my god. Um that i mean that's how great i now i mean my digital collection i got the producers but if they had a box set i'd be like you know i have two of these already but i'll still get the rest i'll give these as a gift or something they're they're worthy um and it's something i just i want to expose more people to like I've, i'm For always sure. going to recommend it i've had space balls on dvd forever now yeah. i think that that's like the only one i've actually owned throughout time i don't think i have any of the others if i got if I had to only buy one more, it'd probably be either Blazing Saddles or Dracula Dead and Loving It. But uh, yeah, if I could get them all, that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. But there's still like, what's crazy is it's like one of those things where I honestly feel like some people were like, dude, aren't you, how have you not seen all the Mel Brooks movies? Like it was actually like a, isn't that what you're supposed to do growing up? I'm like, yeah, I didn't go to Temple either, man. So, you know, I'm not really, yeah, I'm, I'm not really. the best at my job right now. Okay. I didn't have a bar mitzvah, bro. You know, he only did 12 movies, technically. Yeah. Um, 13, if you want to count the remake of The Producers. Uh, But, yeah, like 12 films. I mean, that's 
actually and and new faces he wasn't his first film he wasn't a director or anything he was just the writer um and he's credited as melvin brooks but uh as a director dude 11 movies yeah and honestly i could there's there's some i can't even i'm like i've never heard of these like the 12 chairs um high anxiety that one life stinks oh no wait life stinks i think is on netflix right now yeah yeah it is i've heard i've heard barely of silent movie same um but otherwise you know the rest i know or know of like like i said i still have to actually finish watching young frankenstein one day Mm -hmm. but uh it's just yeah there's just it's weird there's not too many but even then i still don't even know what they are which is crazy yeah only a dozen which i guess isn't too crazy at the same time like look at tarantino he's like i'm only doing 10 movies and somehow it feels like there's been like 14 and it's like we're at nine and i'm like wait what about kill kill bill counts as one both of them count as one and i'm like what the okay fine fine I and I, I, did he say even if death proof did death proof count i already i already forgot our conversation on that if that count one count i think it does i think it does okay i think it even says tarantino's fourth movie or something like that yeah okay yeah. cool so oh yeah it was no it was five it was the ha- that was the halfway point because then inglorious bastards like kicked off everything into high gear oh, okay. but uh yeah it's just it's so weird the way you feel like really well-known directors you'd think there's like a whole giant cache of like 30 films and then it's like dude there's like eight to 14 maybe 12 and that's it yeah and it just blows your mind you, you expect like 20 or something <laughs> you know what i mean yeah because like, it's they're just so iconic but man i'm i'm excited to talk about history of world part one um i'm i'm super hyped just to recap what we see in that film what he goes over what he references uh really like it's this one was like i needed to get my mel brooks excitement out <laughs> i was just so hyped up just to like i mean i feel it. like we'll because that one that it's a very special beast because it has so many different storylines within the movie that there's so much to just talk about there where we're probably going to be like you know, I love that one part, and it's just going to go well into it, and it's just either something about a musical number or Mel Brooks being chased, or then Mel Brooks being chased in a different timeline, and then Mel Brooks being chased a third time. Yep. And then they all see each other, and then they're still chased. Yes. Stupid. The giant yep. joint. Okay. <laughs> all right. Um, and then we could end it with our uh, speculation of how History of the World Part Two would have been. <laughs> Dude... I mean, part of it would have been the producers. I mean, just it would have gone through. We would have seen maybe that's where we would have seen Hitler, the springtime for Hitler. That would have been the prequel. I think that's where it would have been. Well, I mean, I guess it's one of those things where it evolves because in this one, you know, Hitler's a play. In that one, it's Hitler on ice. It's like it's gra- it's changed. It's like we've finished with the play. Now we got to keep the kids entertained. Go put it on ice. Disney did it. <laughs> oh, Hitler can do gosh, it too. That was great. Yes, I would love to see that. <sighs> Yeah, I, I I'm not gonna lie. I would actually pay real money to see dice getting producers. <laughs> I think it moved up onto my list so fast. It has to be in my top like ten comedy movies. Really? Okay. Yeah, I think it skyrocketed up there just because I I see so many references towards it now and what they did and the era and what they got away with and what the characters. I think it was all just so brilliant and so perfect. It's it's definitely in my top ten now for comedy movies. 
I don't think I've ever had a top comedy movie list in my life. Me no, I've, it's always been like top films, and for some reason, comedy never jumped into that category of like top films in general. So it's something I'd be interested in what I'd even say because I don't even know what the combination of stuff would be like. For some reason, I, whenever you say comedy, usually besides Mel Brooks, the first person that comes into my head every time practically is just Dave Chappelle. But then that's you know more so as a show than anything oh, an actual yeah. movie. Yeah. But which guys, I got a quick thing, guys. If you haven't watched the Chappelle show, oh I know. Like go watch. That is one of the. That is the best sketch comedy show ever period snl could suck two dicks compared to that like it's not gonna even come close like i showed a, spell show is the king i showed it to my girlfriend for the first time like during the pandemic because it was finally streaming um and then we finished it and she's like can we just like go back and rewatch all of it <laughs> i just did not want it to end it was uh yeah i could we could go off on that maybe that's what we'll do next yeah. year we'll do a month of tv series i also want to say really fast too i feel like dave Chappelle probably also got influenced by Mel Brooks because I mean maybe maybe not but what made me so happy just you know growing up in middle school watching his show and also growing up earlier watching like Spaceballs and whatnot watching Robin Hood Men in Tights for the first time and seeing Dave Chappelle in a Mel Brooks movie got me excited just for that sheer like yeah those two people coming into the same thing together got me so happy and excited that's right. Because you'd think then Mel Brooks goes, oh, this kid's got something going on. And then, you know, we're in today's world now. So. That is crazy. Just saying. Um, right? Isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Holy crap. So. Uh, but that's. And I remember watching that one often in the kid. And that's one that would play on Comedy Central a lot, too. Uh, but, you know, I really never realized that Dave Chappelle was in that. I can't. Yeah, I think his name is Achu. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they always, there's now, like yeah. the sneezing joke and there. The other guy's blinking. Yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta watch that so this stupid. weekend now. I just really want to watch it. I pure fun. No, I just got you on that night. All right, cool, cool, cool. Um, yeah, but all right. I think that's that's all I have to say about it. Just go watch we're, it. We're good. Just go watch it. Yeah, it's, go watch it's, it. It's it's iconic. Like it's so iconic. Um, and good luck. And if you don't get it, then I'm sorry. Like you're just missing out on life. Yeah. So, or you're a Nazi sympathizer. Yeah, I'm, just saying. Saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Yeah. Yeah. You just. Yeah. You know what you did. All right. Uh, Brandon, where can people find you? Uh, check out Apollo City Comics on all podcast platforms and on YouTube. Uh, we have a TikTok now. We have like this cool Instagram stuff. We have more posts now. Um, Kamran runs our other posts. So there's like a nice balance. It's great. A lot of cool stuff. Check out Coffee and a Comic. Those guys are. That guy is amazing. Um, and we just did a cool little book club and that's on youtube now so check out coffee and a comic um that'll be there you guys drink wine um during book club as long as it's in a coffee mug is is that legal you have wine in a coffee mug does that break rules as long as it had coffee at one point (laughs) there's still the taste in there you're like this wine Sounds horrible. All right. A bit of creamer in your one. Oh, no. Oh, my goodness. Sam, what's you doing? <laughs> Say when. Come on. I mean, you're already listening on yeah. Sutro Side Watch right now. So they should yes. know about Sutro Side Talk. And they should know yes. about Up To It, Down To It. And they should yes. know about our upcoming series, too. I'm just kidding.
happening. I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're just like, no more. Like, looking no more. like... I was trying to look to see if there was someone in the room with me like, did you know about this? Like, <laughs> what's it talking about? <laughs> yeah, you know, cut a steal, up to it, down to it, secret side talk, all of the shows going on right now and all uh, currently active. And, you know, you could find your cha- this uh, this channel at your local synagogue, so go check that out. Um, or, or just podcast platforms. Holla. I love that, Brad. Um, but... Yeah, until until next time with the history of the world part one. I hope other Jews don't hate me for this. Don't forget, I'm also Jewish. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. <laughs> oh, see you, Matt. Thanks for hanging.